Good morning. Good to see you. My name's Ross. Like Pastor Matt said, I am the student pastor, so I work with students and young adults, and I'm so honored to do that. Um, I love my time with those age groups. If you're online, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm super excited to dive into 2 Thessalonians today. And just a heads up, we are taking communion this morning. And so at home, you can begin to prepare, get some juice and some bread to remember together. But this morning, you might have grabbed it on your way in. That's great. We're going to tuck it away and take a moment at the end of our sermon to remember that. At any point throughout my sermon, though, you can get up if you forgot to grab one. No problem. You can get up and go get one at any time. That's what I love about the church. It's like we're one big family, right? And so it's like we're in the family room with Jesus and trying to just learn from him. And so it will not be awkward at all to me if you need to get up and grab one of those this morning. So I want to start us off uh, before we dive into the passage with a quick story. Uh, Recently, and maybe some of you had gotten an email like this, but recently I got an email requesting gift cards be sent to someone who uh, I will remain nameless for now. But basically this email read like this, hey Ross, it's really important and I need you to do this quick. I'm kind of botching it by saying it right. It was really not written so well to begin with, but it was basically go to the store and buy gift cards and then send me the numbers for them. I need them quickly, immediately. Thank you, Pastor Matt. So it was from Pastor Matt, which was super interesting. So I'm like, I love, right? Yeah, I, I love Pastor Matt and I know him and so anyways, I bought all these gift cards and went to his office. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. I did not buy any gift cards. But what had happened was I was being scammed, right? I was being, there was an imposter on the other side acting as if they were Pastor Matt trying to get me to buy them gift cards for whatever monetary gain they could get from them. And so you can picture like this, this really, this massive frustration between myself and, and maybe for pa- Pastor Matt too. One, I wasted my time reading this email and buying all those gift cards, which I didn't buy. I'm just joking. But two, Pastor Matt, there's an imposter out there pretending he's Pastor Matt via email, which is not true. So, of course, we didn't land too much time on it. I think our whole staff got the same email trying to fish for some, you know, gift cards or whatever. And so it was really interesting. Side note, though, if Pastor Matt's emailing you to serve, that's not a scam, okay? You should reply to that and and maybe, you know, serve in some way if he's asking. But no, um, anyways, I, I think it was just so interesting to see this dilemma, you know, show up in front of me on my computer screen. But funny enough, we see a very similar moment in 2 Thessalonians. We see a very similar moment where there's been an imposter that has been writing letters or speaking things as if they were Paul when they're really not. And we'll get into that in a moment in 2 Thessalonians this morning. See, in 2 Thessalonians, there was a significant persecution of the church in Thessalonica, both significant persecution and these lies, this imposter of Paul saying that Jesus is already returned. And so, so much fear had been, had been beginning in the church of Thessalonica that the Thessalonians had become to become idle and, and lacking in faith and very fearful at the time being. And so uniquely in this, in this book specifically written by Paul, Silas and Timothy alongside him. And so you can think of Matt's illustration of these protégés that he's bringing along for ministry. And just a side note for you, if you're serving somewhere, find someone to bring along with you and show them the way, the way of following Jesus, but also the way of serving him in the local church or the community. That is so beautiful to do that. And so Paul's giving us that example, right? Alongside Silas and Timothy, this book was written within months of 1 Thessalonians. And so you can tell there's some 
some stuff going on that Paul's addressing very specifically in 2 Thessalonians, which we'll get into today. But there's these moments of fear, uh, dissension because of this imposter guy who's acting as Paul, saying things as if they're Paul, which were not true. And so the overall purpose in these three chapters, we've got three chapters in 2 Thessalonians, right? The overall purpose in chapter 1 was Paul sharing that there's hope despite their persecution. See, before this, Paul had started this church, Acts 17 specifically speaks of this. When Paul started this church in Thessalonica, he was actually, he started it, he was preaching and teaching the Word of God, but was driven out by persecution, right? He was driven out of the area, but the church still withstood in strength. Why? That's the beautiful part about God, right? Is the church is built by him. It's sustained by him. It's his body. It's his power within it, right? And so to us, we are then have a purpose to serve the church, to serve the Lord through it, to equip others by the church, to lead by example, to follow Jesus genuinely. And so this generally sometimes wasn't happening when it came to persecution in Thessalonica. And so Paul delivers chapter 1 saying there's hope. Despite your persecution, God loves you. There's hope by his blood, by his power. There's hope. In chapter 2, we see this clarity that Paul brings, right? This imposter's on the scene sharing sharing falsehoods about Jesus' return. Paul brings clarity in chapter 2 of the Lord's return, of the day of the Lord. Brings so much immense clarity that we'll get into today. And then chapter 3, Paul directly challenges those who have grown idle because of believing these falsehoods and lies that Jesus has forgotten them or what is your faith and why live for it. They've grown idle, taking other jobs that were not righteous to say the least, doing nothing at all. And Paul directly, directly challenges them in this book. You know what's interesting is I was teaching through our work series not too long ago and was able to begin to break down 2 Thessalonians a bit with you. And what's so beautiful is we walked away with something a little different but true from God then that we'll walk away with maybe something else different and true from God today. The cool thing about God's Word, which I so directly forgot over here, so I'm going to walk over here and grab it because I I have my own copy, and this should tell you I'm going to read from it over there. Um, the, The beauty of God's Word, though, is that it's his word given to us, fully authoritative from his, from his breath, that we may so grow in knowledge, but also grow in understanding purpose that he gives us each and every day. And so the beautiful part about it is we can read today something that we read yesterday and maybe glean something different hearing from the Lord differently tomorrow as for yesterday. And so this morning, I actually want to lead us in a prayer quickly before we actually dive into the Word, because sometimes I think we can, and I'm an emotional guy. I don't know if you know me too well. I'm like the type of emotional guy. I think on my thoughts and feelings. I cry maybe more than the most, just on being honest, you know, and I just, I just, I, I think on emotions sometimes, and sometimes when it comes to God's Word, we may begin to think we know or assume we know, but yet God really wants to share something with us now, and so I'm going to lead us in a prayer of maybe sifting through our thoughts and saying, Ah, having peace from God and saying, God, what do you want me to hear today? God, what do you want me to know today? So I'd love to pray for you in that. Jesus, before we dive into your word, God, what would you want us to hear today from you? God, we may face a mountain tomorrow or what seems like a mountain next week, but God, today in this holy place with you, Would we rest in the valley of knowing you're speaking to us by your spirit, knowing you're speaking to us by your word? 
And God, may you give us peace and understanding. Lord, help us listen to you. Help me, Lord, listen to you. What are steps I should take with you, God? Help me hear them from you. So, Lord, I pray that our our thoughts would have peace and our minds would even begin to be at ease and just purely listening for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. 2 Thessalonians 1, we're going to have a chapter by chapter this morning about 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. In most of 2 Thessalonians, we see before this passage we're reading today that Paul's speaking in some really, really deep encouragement. And specifically in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, he says this, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number one for any note takers this morning is this, a way to pray through hardship. See, Paul, so far, we've explained so far that there had been some violent persecution in the church at Thessalonica. There had been some real persecution, so much so that Paul faced it himself. And even prior to this passage, Paul had been talking about the persecutors and then those who were persecuted by them. And yet Paul ends in this really powerful prayer that I think we can all be reminded of today in 2 Thessalonians. A powerful prayer that says this, right? We pray that this, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may be glorified in you and you in him. And so then we begin to realize by this perspective, it's God's glory through me. Jesus, may you be glorified in me, right? Beforehand, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. God, your power over mine, by his power, by Jesus' power, in me and through me. See, even amongst the hardships they were facing, even amongst the immense persecution, ever so maybe violent too, Paul was helping them realign and understand that the lives they're living are not for their own glory and not by their own power, but yet by God's glory and by his power. The beautiful part about this relationship we're able to enter into by Jesus with God is that we actually get to experience his power within us, and we actually get to live by it each day. For example, you face maybe many sinful moments or your very sinful nature, and yet you have the power to stand firm and trust and actually flee from the very sin you're so enticed by. Yet also, we may face other times where we feel as if maybe the world is saying, hey, may it be for your glory instead of someone else's, and you're saying, no, 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 actually, I know my life and my purpose is for God's glory and no one else's. And so then you begin to position yourself and live differently because of the calling you have in your life. See, Paul is sharing this perspective that regardless of the hardship and persecution, we can actually pray and seek God and meet with him and be different and be changed. We all have hardships, but the important thing is to remember how to really pray through them. And if I can encourage you to take some time this week to look at even the Lord's Prayer earlier in the New Testament, right? Where where literally Jesus is teaching us how to pray. This is a beautiful example of Paul teaching us a new way to pray as well. 2 Thessalonians 2 
We're going to start in 1 through 4, and I'm going to kind of give you some, some breakdowns of this, this specific chapter because I think it's really important for us to understand some of its meaning and its purpose this morning. So 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4 says this, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. Pause. Okay, so we're starting to see this imposter on the scene, right? Paul's now in response to the imposter that was to be spreading these falsehoods and lies, right? And I immediately think of that game Among Us. Anybody played Among Us before? Yeah? A little bit? Yeah, a lot of the kids and teens. That's what's up. You're my people. I love it. Okay, so this game Among Us is essentially this moment where you can become an imposter. You can be someone you're not. See, you're assigned to be like a regular person doing these tasks in this little phone game thing, but then someone's assigned to be the killer, and then they're this imposter pretending to be regular tasking, and then they're cha-cha, and they like attack somebody, and they're eliminated, and then it's like the whodunit game. You know what I'm saying? Like, whodunit! It was a you, it was a you, it was a you, it was a you, and then you vote and all this stuff. You should play it sometimes. It's kind of fun and funny. I haven't played it in years. It was like a big, big pandemic game. So, But either way, I think of this moment, right? That there's an imposter among us, and we need to figure out who it is. Paul doesn't waste any time in the second chapter, right? Just going straight for it. Hey, our being gathered, and we ask you, brothers, don't become easily unsettled or alarmed by what? The teaching allegedly from us. It's not true. It's not me. There's an imposter among us. That's the Among Us theme song thing. The kids knew. The students knew. And that's loved them so much. See, that they love that. So anyways, let's continue on. Whether by prophecy or by word or by mouth or by letter. See, this imposter was maybe sharing in multiple different ways. Paul maybe doesn't even know in what ways they were sharing these falsehoods. And yet, what were they sharing them about? Here Paul says this, continuing on in 2 Thessalonians 2. Asserting that the day of the Lord had already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. See, Paul directly jumps straight to the chase in the second chapter. So these falsehoods you're hearing are not true. Someone has come and said the Lord has already come and forgotten you. That's not true. That's not, first of all, God's character, Thessalonican believers. That's not, that's not who God is. He loves you so deeply. But let us be reminded that Jesus' return should never spark fear in our lives. His return shouldn't spark fear in our lives, yet the thought of Jesus' return should spark hope and confidence in the so very grace and truth and loving nature that we know of in God. Hope and confidence. We begin, as we, as we say yes to Jesus, we enter this like dual citizenship in a way. We're fully citizens of heaven and God's kingdom. We are with him and he with us when we say yes to Jesus. But yet right now we're in this in-between time, right? We're living on earth. And yeah, we're citizens of Dubuque County, Iowa. Represent, right? But, but it's, it's different here. See, Paul, is, he's directly saying and encouraging that let's not be afraid, first of all, of this falsehood, but yet also of the Lord's return and the question of that. But let me bring some clarity to this chapter for you. 
Because oftentimes we can, we can read it and look in 2 Thessalonians 2 and, and say, hey, this is some really good apocalyptic, you know, speculation. Let's dive into that and figure out the when and the why. But let me be reminding of you of what Pastor Matt said so brilliantly last week, that, that we are just the welcoming committee, not the planning party. And what's so beautiful about this passage is, is Paul's writing again from this pastoral heart and deep encouragement to those in Thessalonica, both encouragement and comfort and saying, hey, hey, friends, first of all, what you've heard is false. And second of all, let's remember the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 13. Let's, let's remember this God that we so follow, that he will not leave you nor forsake you, that you can trust him in fully. Let's trust him for that, but feel comfort that the fear you're experiencing is, is really in vain. This falsehood is not true. The Lord still sees you and loves you. Further in 2 Thessalonians 2, the point I want to make today in this specific chapter, it's in verse 15 through 16. It says this, all this debunking and talking through uh, and just clarity of the day of the Lord's return, and, and Paul specifically saying, hey, this wasn't from me. This was a falsehood, but let's remember and be encouraged that what we know of God to be true and the hope we have in him to be vivid and active in our life, right, of not only future but today. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15 through 16 says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen, and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Point number two for any note takers, hold tightly to God's word. Hold tightly to God's word. Again, in comfort, right? Stand firm, hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you. And the beautiful thing about where we sit today, different than the church in Thessalonica, is that these very teachings that they held on to then, we beautifully get a complete work of them today. The fullness of God's authority and who he is, revealing himself to us and teaching us the way to live is right here in front of many of you or below your seat from many of you or in my hands for me. God's Word. So to hold tightly to God's Word would look like for us, hold tightly to the Word of the Bible, Scripture. What I love about this is that our kids and, and teenagers, our students, they just are, the way we prioritize God's Word in our ministries, uh, including our adult ministries too, but in kids and students, is that you look around this room and you see kids and students sitting amongst you. Go ahead, look. You'll see them. And they, from, from if they've been a part of kids' ministry or just new and part of student ministry, they're beginning to learn the priority of what God's Word and the authority it carries, but also the beauty of what it means to memorize it and actually begin to hold tightly to it. For the world we live in can be dangerous, can lead us astray. And so you'll see in kids' ministry that we memorize Bible verses, and Deanna does an excellent job of leading students through under, or kids through understanding what it looks like to read God's Word practically day in and day out. In student ministry, we, our leaders are so incredibly gifted that they sit with students each week and remind them to read God's Word and memorize it, but also send them home often with, with daily devotionals to help them remember to read God's Word and how to navigate through it. So we prioritize it from then, even through you now, in adult ministries too. So students and kids, can you do something for me? I want you to look at your parents, students or kids. I want you to look at your parents Okay, just look at them in the eye, you know, 
and say, hey, we can do this. Go ahead and say that. Say, we can do this. We can do this. If you're online and you have a kid or a student at home, students, kids, look at your parents. We can do this. If you're just, you, you don't have any kids at home, that's okay. Look at each other or, or text a friend. We can do this, friends. We can grow to know what it means to hold tightly to God's word today. Many of you parents, you're looking at a kid or student who already is learning to. We can do this. We can do this. I quickly just thought of this moment at the Grand River Center. Has anyone been to the Grand River Center Museum before? Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. We go pretty often, and my wife got the yearly pass, which is so great and so affordable for families, so I'd encourage that for anyone thinking about it. But we go, and when you're there, you, like, don't even think you're in Dubuque. That was, like, my first thing. You walk in, and there's, like, this aquarium, and you can pet, like, sharks, basically, or whatever those things are in there. And you're just like, this is incredible, right? I think they're technically um, stingrays. Yeah, thank you. Stingrays, for those of us online, the online are probably like not listening to me anymore. They're like looking up, what are the things at Grand River? No, I'm just joking. So regardless though, like you can do all this stuff. So you're in there and you're like, am I in like the National Museum of like somewhere not Dubuque? Like I'm not saying anything wrong with Dubuque, but just you picture these type of places to be maybe in D.C. or somewhere like closer to the, to, to like seawaters or something. But no, it's here and it's so beautiful and awesome. But recently we went and we go pretty often. We've never been to, uh, let me say this correctly, the William M. Black ship, okay? It's that ship you see or um, I don't know if ship's the right word, just giant boat, right? And I did get corrected at the first service. I was wondering if it was still f- actually floating, but no, it's not. They like reinforced it to be floating, you know, because it's an old boat. It's an old boat. So anyways, we go pretty often. And this one time, we've never been out there to that part. And, and we do with our daughter. She's two and a half years old. And, and some of you parents might know, we do kind of a, we do like a, a visual leash, okay? Not the physical leash on a kid thing, and, and, but the visual leash, okay? To where she, she knows kind of how far she can go until we're like, hey, come back, Della, come back, right? Our, our son Baker, he's on like the physical leash kind of. We have to hold him, you know, he can't go anywhere, so he's just there. But anyways, like she's on the visual kind of, we know where she's at. She knows how far she can go. We tune her back. So, well, so now you're looking at me like I'm that parent. Okay, yeah, I'm that, I'm that parent with the visual, but we do it in a respectful way. We kind of make sure she's not running in your face and stuff, right? But anyways, we do this visual leash, and she's running around and doing, looking at things, and sees the otters, and yeah, it's awesome, but finally we start walking out towards this boat, and I'm like, Della, let's go, and it was just her and and myself walking out towards there, when suddenly there's this path that takes you to this, like, marsh area, which I've never been to or seen. I I swear, the grant, it just keeps growing. Like, I think there's just stuff's there that I don't even know, so we start walking out here to this marsh area, and what we begin to realize is that there's, there's guardrails. You're starting to walk out on the water on this deck system they've got to walk around on it. And then finally there comes to a point where the guardrails go down and it's just like purely deck and no siding. So you can picture me with my visual lease with, with my daughter that I begin to do what? Quickly get closer to her, closer to her, and finally to the very end of where there's side arm rails, right? Where it becomes to be nothing and it's just flat and then water. I'm like, okay, 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 I got to hold your hand, you know, Adela, Adela, I have your hand. I do myself. I'm like, well, no, not this time, though. You could die. I mean, like, I'm trying to talk to a two and a half year old. I'm, I'm still figuring that life out as a dad, okay? But either way, I'm like, no, you could get really harmed. Like, 
you could die. So finally he takes me, I get on her level and say, hey, baby, I love you. I do by myself. And she's kind of getting irritated here. So options either turn back and forget about this project over here, the science experiment, or somehow wrangle her in and I can walk with her. And so I'm like, baby, okay, listen, I, it's, it's dangerous. You could fall in. You don't know how to swim. And I want you to be safe. So I need to hold your hand and walk with you. So finally, okay, she understands that it's either by with me or, or not at all. So we begin to walk, and you picture this scenario, right? I think of it really quickly, similarly to holding tightly to God's word, but obviously mine is situational, but I believe ours is too. That we are presently living in this, in this earth that it can be so dangerous and deceiving and misdirecting, and yet ever so much more we need to begin to hold tightly to the word of God and its truth within it from God's word, from his mouth, right, for our lives that we may live the best life possible we can in glory to him, right, on earth. See how I quickly began to rein in my little girl to make sure as we were walking on dangerous parts of, of, of this you know, museum here in Dubuque, I began to realize how much more quickly then when I face dangerous moments in my own personal walk with Jesus, where sin is ever so increasingly enticing to me that I need to begin to say, no, God, your word, I need to hold tightly to it and remember it as true. For God, you love me, you give me grace, but Lord, I want to live like you've asked me to. Hold tightly to God's word, for by it, by it, we are guided to live to his glory. Think of John 15, 5, this moment where Jesus is, is talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? That you can do nothing apart from me. You will bear much fruit with me, but without me, nothing. How are we attaching to the vine of Jesus? Attaching to the word of God and living by it. May it live through us to reach others but also personally living by it today. Hold tightly to God's word. Psalm 119.11 is, is such a great reminder. And if you need a memory verse, just jot this down. Psalm 119.11. Jot this down because it says this, I have hidden your word in my heart so I may not sin against you. And this is this perfect picture of how we are able to approach God's word and not only hold tightly to it in reading and studying, but also internally have it dwell within us so we may not what? Sin against God. Hold tightly to God's word. And what's so beautiful is Paul's reminder to those in Thessalonica is very similar to our reminder today. Stand firm. Hold tightly to the teachings in which you've heard from me by God. Second Thessalonians 3, we're going to finish our chapter here. Second Thessalonians, our book here. Second Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 says this. This is the moment in, in chapter 3, remember, that they had grown idle. They had grown basically tired of doing what is good. Uh, they had thought the Lord had already come and forgotten them. So why live for the faith I so believed in? Right? You can just picture some of the thoughts they might have had listening to these false, false teachings. These, this is imposter Paul guy who was not really Paul sharing this false truth to them that the Lord had come without them, had, had gone and left them. So Paul here directly jumps into it again, and I love Paul's per persistent pursuit in helping the believers in Thessalonica, the church, stand firm in knowing who God is and trusting Him. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13, he dives right in, right? We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they're busybodies. 
Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what, are, what is good. The last note for you note takers, don't grow tired of doing good. See, Paul here, in moments built up by fear and dissension in the church, the local church here, is purely directing their motives, is purely directing their heart to remember to do good. Don't grow tired of it. Don't, don't believe the lies so, so, so shared with you. Don't believe the falsehoods that you've heard, but don't grow tired of doing good regardless. They're fearful, they're upset, and you can picture similar to how we feel sometimes when we hear false statements or, or false things, how we can become to be upset and fearful in our own lives. And then sometimes through that up, upsetting feeling and that fear, we can begin to do what is wrong. Naturally, our sinful nature just desires that. And we really face a world even now that it's easier to do what's wrong oftentimes, right? It's easier to do the wrong thing. But yet, Paul reminds us, don't grow tired of doing what is right. The Lord sees you, remember. The Lord knows you, reminder. Don't grow tired of doing what is right. For the which, which and ways he's called you. From the very beginning of this book, right? Reminder of the way, the worthy way that you were called. He will give you strength to continue to do what is good. Hebrews 6.10, this reminder, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. God sees you and the work, the mighty works you do even when others don't. God sees you when you choose to do right even when others don't. God gives you grace even when you choose to do wrong, even when others may not see it or even when others do. God sees you, he knows you, and our encouragement today is to never tire of doing good. In what ways do you grow tired maybe of doing good? And I begin to think like at this, you know, on Sunday mornings, we begin to take some life inventory, right? We started with some peace before God saying, God, tell us what we need to know or what we need to hear today. And maybe you need to begin to have this, this thought process of what are some things I, I may be choosing wrong over right? What are some ways I need to realign with where God's asking me to follow him? It's all natural and okay, and I encourage you that this week continue to begin to develop that thought, that thought process of inner, inner engaging with God. You're simply engaging with the Spirit who's prompting you to understand what steps you might need to take. So where, where might we need to begin to step into some good decisions or some good, right? What ways are you willing to grow in the ways you do good? You think naturally of the way you serve people around you. I think very naturally of the way you serve even God's church and the people here this morning or throughout the week. Where do, you, where do you step in and grow in doing good? Using your gifts and abilities, which we talk about quite often because remember, our gifts, we may have some unique gifts from God's, but all of us has an ability of some sort. I know we can all scrub a toilet to some extent, right? But where are you using your gifts and abilities to serve and do good? So how do we actively live with the hope that we ever so presently know comes from, comes from God, comes from Jesus? We seek to pray through the persecution and the hardships we face. We hold tightly to God's word and relentlessly do what is good. Relentlessly choose what is good. Relentlessly seek for what is good. We connect with God and speak with him through prayer. 
we grow in God's Word, not only together, but personally. How are you taking steps to grow in His Word and understanding of it, holding tightly to it that maybe even some of you memorizing it? challenge you this week to memorize some of God's Word and begin to have it dwell in you. You, wouldn't, you would be actually really surprised how often the memorizing of God's Word, as someone and he said, would actually help you choose to do good as you've memorized it and think on it. And finally, serve and continue to serve the people around you by doing what is good. This morning, I, I, I just um, kind of told you in the beginning, I think it was a perfect time for us to read through God's Word together and kind of get this picture of 2 Thessalonians and where Paul was directing the church in Thessalonica, how he was encouraging them and how it is so deeply encouraging to us. I thought it was a perfect time for us to reflect in communion this morning together. And so if you had your cup and you stowed it away, you can begin to grab it out right now. Uh, if you forgot one, now is the perfect time, too, to go and grab a cup from the lobby. You feel free to do that. But I'm just going to transition into a time of leading you through communion this morning. And it first kind of gives you uh, some clarity on what communion is. Uh, communion is, is the step we can take in remembering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And so it's a step for us believers who know Jesus, who have said yes to him, to actually t- partake in remembering what the Lord's done for us. Right? And so that doesn't make communion th- this, this act we take to be right with God. Actually, more so, it makes the, like, literally our faith and grace from Jesus alone what makes us right before God. But this is purely in remembrance of what he's done. But it's really unique and important that we do a few things before we take communion together. One, we want to look vertically with our relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're still searching. And I encourage you, keep searching. Keep beginning to keep understand, keep growing. Maybe you've not yet received Jesus, and that's okay. You've not yet said yes. But for those of us in the room who have, we begin to evaluate, is our life really in align with what God asks of me, with the way Jesus asks me to live? What are some things I might need to prune away and begin to, to set aside because there's sinful, sin, my sinful nature is leading me there. It's a sinful pattern I'm stuck in. I need to begin to cut it away. But also horizontally, to where the scriptures invite us to actually look at our relationships, both in our family and our friendships, and begin to look at where are we not having any peace? Where are we lacking peace? Maybe there's a moment that you've wronged someone and you need to ask for forgiveness. Or maybe there's a moment where someone's wronged you and you need to step in and just forgive them, even if they haven't asked for it, and offer forgiveness to bring peace. And so I just want to give you a few seconds just to reflect on those two things, both vertically, your relationship with God and where you are right now with Jesus and walking with him and and pruning things in your life, but also horizontally, what relationships do you need to begin repair on?
1 Corinthians 11, we see this example. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And together, here in a moment, I just invite you to take uh, both cups as I, as I kind of prompt you this morning. It says this, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so together we take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we take the cup or juice and drink. So, Lord, we humbly come to you, God. And we thank you for the relationship we have with you, but also the grace we receive from you. God, whatever we thought through with you, God, either vertically in our relationship with you or horizontally in our relationship with others, God, that you would continue to give us moments to step in, to ask for forgiveness or, or even needing in, to receive it. But God, also, Lord, would you actively and so, so aggressively by your spirit, Lord, help us grow in relationship with you by reading of your word and aligning with who you are and who you've asked us to be. God, thank you for giving us purpose. Thank you for giving us power by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for giving us new life. We love you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Something special we do each Sunday, we take communion. Uh, we also have a Good Samaritan offering, which you can choose to give to if you'd like today, either online or you can, there, there's bins in the back as you walk out. And this Good Samaritan offering is used in a really unique way. This is the way we give back to our community in a way, the way the Lord's asked us to uh, for our church. But it, it helps in specific three ways. One being if there's a financial crisis or need in our church community, we actually use the Good Samaritan Fund to help with that. And so you think looking around the room or your friends who attend Hope Church, we help them as needed. And and help them with maybe a financial emergency. The second is helping scholarship and helping both kids and students make it to summer camps or activities here at Hope Church that do cost some and ways we can help them grow in their relationship with God is by actually scholarshiping them to attend those. Uh, third, we actually partner with other organizations that align with our mission and vision. And we actually begin to engage and give out of this fund to them. You think of naturally in Ukraine, how we helped our friends there, but then also recently in Panama, our partnership through a church in Panama, how we helped them build a gate. How beautiful it is to have a fund like this to do that and to give through that. But finally, if all those three things are met, at times we may decide that we want to help ministries in Hope Church flourish in a different way or, or fund them in a different way. And so we do pray and, and, and think through if we need to at times to actually fund a different ministry effort here at Hope Church through this fund too. And so I encourage you to, could you stand with me? And, and if you feel so loud today, you can give to that fund. But regardless, stand with me as we just exit our time today in worship. <laughs> 